Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Evan Lazar here, Patriots insider and host of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Network. As always, our content is powered by our exclusive wagering partners, betonline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your welcome deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Edition of the Patriots Beat podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar. Joined, as always, by Alex Barth, an early noon edition of Patriots Beat today because Alex Barth is on 98.5 tonight. So he's got, yep. got the big guns coming out tonight. Uh, what time are you on tonight? 7 to 11 with Matt McCarthy. So there you we'll, go. We've got Red oh. Sox Yankees tonight. We'll talk that. NHL draft tonight. We'll, we'll probably get into the Patriots a little bit as well. Some bomb, bombers takeover for those that don't know. Bomber, yep. Bombers takeover on 98.5. Ithaca Bombers, that is, on yes. 98.5 tonight. So we're going to do the show a little bit early today. I asked you guys to put in some questions on my Twitter feed. So we're going to get to a bunch of those here today. If you have other questions, please ask them in the chat right now. We'll also pull up questions from the chat live here on air as we go through the next hour or so. I, I wanted to start with our questions, though, uh, with this football team and, and where we stand about three weeks from training camp, a little less than three weeks at this point to the day. Alex, uh, we've talked so much about this team at this point, breaking down the roster in th- inside and out at mini camp, after the draft, so on and so forth. But when you sit back and you take that uh, 30,000-foot view, the bird's-eye view of this team, when we get to training camp on July 27th, what is going to be the number one thing on your mind that you're going to be watching for to see how this particular roster battle or something along those lines shakes out? I think probably the secondary and the cornerbacks. I think that's the biggest thing. You're not going to compete in the modern day and age in the NFL unless you have at least average level cornerback play, right? It's not going to be what it was a couple of years ago with Stefan Gilmore and JC Jackson, both in their prime. It's just not going to be that, but yeah. Can somebody emerge next to Jalen Mills is a legitimate, you know, 65, 70% usage rate kind of guy, whether that's Jack Jones, whether that's Malcolm Butler, whether it's Sean Williams coming out of nowhere, whether it's somebody else, um, that, that to me is the biggest question facing this team right now is the cornerback position. There's other big ones, you know, the offensive line, the wide receivers, things like that. But I think the cornerback position is the biggest mystery heading into camp. It feels a lot like 2012 around here right now, or 2011, 2012, at that period of time, right before the Patriots traded for Akeem Tlaib at the trade deadline. And then when Tlaib left, they signed Darrell Revis, and then they signed uh, Stephon Gilmore a few years after that, and were passing the torch after maybe learning a little bit from their their mistakes or not necessarily mistakes but just learning from their shortcomings from that 2010 to 2012 range when they didn't have a true lockdown number one corner this secondary feels a lot like that and it's hard to say any other thing is more pressing for this team right now than how that shakes out especially when you look across the division and the other teams in the AFC that are on their schedule they play 
Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis in Buffalo. They played Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell down in Miami. They have the Jets, who, for all their shortcomings, have built a decent receiving corps with Corey Davis and now Garrett Wilson from Ohio State and Elijah Moore in the slot. You have Devontae Adams on your schedule. You have Jamar Chase and the Bengals on your schedule. This is a difficult gauntlet of wide receivers to go through without really great high-end cornerback talent. So what's the answer there? Are they going to be full smoke and mirrors? Because when they didn't have that that true alpha, that true number one guy, a lot of what they did was some of the zone stuff and, and some of the a disguising and, and a little bit more of a bend don't break approach on the back end, which I know drove fans nuts, but I, I think they really felt like they didn't have a choice. Like if they were going to try to get up in everybody's face and play man to man, they were going to get beat more often than not. So this was really the only answer that the team had. I, I still look at that cornerback group as a potential Achilles heel for the Patriots. And if a guy like Jack Jones doesn't emerge from that rookie class and take a job at the outside cornerback spot. I am pretty worried about that group, especially against the teams that they're going to face in the regular season. And in particular, those divisional uh, games as well. When you go out in Miami in week one, uh, of course you have Jonathan Jones to maybe take one of the speedy guys down with the dolphins with Hill and, and Waddle, but who takes the other guy? Uh, how does that coverage structure look? Uh, obviously they still have to get through Buffalo uh, with their two headed monster. It, it's certainly the number one question. I just to present a different argument here. Uh, number two for me is still the offensive system and how this whole thing is going to look on the offensive side of the football I don't want to get too caught up in what we saw in minicamp or overreact to, to some of the things that they were doing with the zone stuff and maybe looking a little bit more McVay slash Shanahan out there in the spring. But I'm just excited if this is actually a change that's coming. Like, isn't that just exciting to, to see something different? We've seen the same offensive system for 20 plus years now in new England. And it's obviously been extremely successful, but I think from my standpoint, maybe this is just because we cover the team and it gives me something else to break down on the film and things like that. But it's, it's exciting to have some change. It has some fresh ideas and a fresh perspective on how to play offense. I'm really looking forward to being able to have those discussions with everybody and break down the tape of what they're doing a little bit differently sometimes change is good right and it can be it can be a good thing and I think that this could potentially be one of those things and uh, we'll get to a few questions that I, I saw on my Twitter feed uh, about this topic but I think it, just from a perspective of covering the team and, and watching them every single day having a little bit of a of a tweak system or, or having a little bit of a new look offensively that's exciting I think that's going to be fun to talk about. It is. Sorry. It's uh, some college football news literally just broke. It's pretty big. So um, what is this big college that. football news? North Carolina, oh my Florida God. State, Virginia, and Clemson to the SEC. Clemson to the SEC is interesting, right? I mean, that's now another, finally Dabo can get run out of there. Another potential powerhouse go, going to the SEC in terms of their recruiting ability and, and their national championship pedigree. That That's going to be fun. So are they going in? What Do we know what division? Like, because there's divisions in the SEC, So it right? says it says that they're negotiating to join the SEC. ESPN is going to avoid their TV deal with the, AC, uh, the ACC. 
I would guess the SEC divisions are a mess uh, yeah. to begin with. I'm trying to pull it up here. Um, there's something like the it was a couple of years ago when Missouri won its division. Yeah, it was the winner of the East Division was further west than the winner of the West Division. So I would guess they'll rework it all. Some of these conferences have speculated going to three divisions. I could see that and maybe adding like a North Division, right? An yeah. East, West, and North. It's maybe those teams, Kentucky and Missouri. Um, but college football continues to tweak. And I mean, it's going to be for everything, obviously. And actually, that'll be really interesting because the SEC has never been a basketball conference outside right. of Kentucky and occasionally Tennessee. But now you have Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama and Auburn have kind of stepped up in the last couple of years as programs. Oklahoma is obviously a great program. And then Virginia, North Carolina, of course, blue, like true blue blood programs. So that's almost more interesting for, for basketball than football. Three of those four schools are going to get smoked in football in the sec Clemson. Yeah. We'll see, but yeah, SEC is now like a pretty legit basketball conference. So I, I don't know what the NCAA can do about this, but this wild, wild west with the conferences is it can't be good for the sport, right? It just can't be good for the for the sport or for the product. This is crazy. Like this is absolutely absurd. It was not. This is not as absurd as uh, UCLA and USC going uh, to the Big Ten, right? Like that was like, what the hell is going on, right? Like this is a bunch of schools like Michigan and Ohio state in the Northern part of the country in the Midwest, some of those teams and we're having two Cali teams come all the way over. Like that's just ridiculous. This is at least geographically isn't that far off from where the other sec schools are. It really isn't that far off at all, but it's still just this whole open endedness and this wild, wild West and college football needs, there needs to be some checks and balances. Like it, there needs to be somebody that steps in and says, look, we, we got to go about this a different way, or we got to manage this a little bit better. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens again. I think it's being negotiated right now, but that would be, that would be an wow. interesting one. All right, let's get to some of these Patriots questions and uh, we can start with this one from Ashley. Then I'll pull up my Twitter and, and, and get the ones that people uh, submitted early about Isaiah Wynn. This is kind of the three the three options with Isaiah Wynn, right? A starting tackle, a starting right tackle, starting left tackle, or off the team. I, I don't know what else he would be at, at this point. So those are your three choices in the three-card Monty. What do you see Isaiah Wynn, uh, where do you see Isaiah Wynn being uh, here with the Patriots come uh, September 11th? Uh, right tackle or not on the team. I, I think they signal to us that Trent's going to be the left tackle. Yeah, uh, I think they'll give Wynn a chance to win that job, but maybe a guard emerges and Michael and Wynn ends up at right tackle. Maybe just they can get tremendous value. Some other team elsewhere has an injury. He's in a contract year. You know, you move on a year too early versus a year. Well, it wouldn't be a year too late. You move on a year too early. You don't, you know, you lose him for nothing. Right. So I'm going to say right tackle or not on the team. Yeah, I, I think that a, a good theory that I've heard floated about why they're moving him over to right tackle is actually related to Cole Strange. I remember last year, Michael Onwenu really struggled at left guard at times with Isaiah Wynn to his left. I yeah. think they're looking at trying to stabilize that left side 
and having Trent Brown and David Andrews flanking the rookie gives him the best possible chance to succeed and hold up in his rookie season. So I think it's really about uh, Cole Strange and, and trying to make sure that he has some comfort, comfortability, some uh, proven veterans around him so that he doesn't have to deal with Isaiah Wynn to his left. This, to me, spells right tackle for Isaiah Wynn, though. I am still thinking that off the team is maybe a bridge too far for this offseason just because – or this season in general, I guess we're kind of out of the offseason – just because they moved so many parts on that offensive line already, right? You trade Shaq Mason. You lose Ted Karras in free agency. You draft a guard in the first round. There's already so many moving parts that I feel like – moving another one and, and having really four, what does that be? Three fifths of your line being totally new. And then uh, a fourth guy being in a different position. That's a lot of shakeup uh, for the Patriots with a green coaching staff without a, a dedicated offensive line coach. That's done it for a long time with Matt Patricia and Billy Yates filling that responsibility. Doesn't it feel like it's a little bit too much of a, of a change to just, ship Isaiah win out this offseason. I, I get the year too early, year too late, and you can maybe get something in compensation. But the way I see it is you're better off keeping him at right tackle, keeping him for the season, hope he plays well, quite frankly, and then goes out and gets a bag in free agency. And then you're looking at a third or a fourth round comp pick coming back to you anyways. I mean, are you going to do better than that in a trade now for Isaiah Wynn, if he plays well, he's probably going to outpace his uh, compensation with a comp pick if he does get the bag in free agency next offseason. Right. So, yeah, it's just a matter of balancing that. The other thing is, if you're going to play him to a position he's never played before, could hurt his value. And then maybe that, you know, shifts the potential comp pick value. I mean, you're going yeah. through so many permutations of it. But, yeah. Yeah. All right. Here, let's pull up uh, my my Twitter feed here and get some of these – uh, submitted questions that we got early last night. And uh, I want to start with this one. I, I hope everybody can see that. It's the biggest I can make it. Uh, it I want to start with this one. I think it's interesting about the Mac Jones uh, throwing videos that we've seen in terms of, there we go. Next and, time, just screenshot them. Okay. That's a lot of work. All right. I, I don't Not know really. Anyways. Uh, We've seen some of these videos surface. It's actually not been Matt Jones himself for the most part posting them. And this time around, it, it was Nelson Aguilar, right, on his Instagram feed working out with Mac Jones. I don't know how much you've studied them very closely, Alex, but what do you make of all the videos that have come out? And do you see any difference in his throwing motion or velocity or anything like that? You see maybe a little more zip on the ball, but that can also be, you know, it's naturally easier to throw without pads on. Right. So it's the kind of thing where it's nothing bad in them, but I'm, I'm hesitant to put any stock into them until we see Mac actually like playing football on an actual football field and pads and all that. Yeah, I, that's how I feel about it, too. I, if you don't have good mechanics and good zip on the ball and all those things when you're throwing against air on a practice field with no pass rush and a controlled environment like that, then – you're probably not a very good quarterback, right? I mean, any quarterback that's worth a damn that's working out in the settings that Mac Jones is working out in can throw a good ball in that setting and have clean mechanics and all those types of things. If I want to look way too much into it, I, I did see maybe a little bit of a, a shortened release and kind of a, a little bit of a quicker uh, trigger uh, on his wind up and his release. I think that's the goal to try to, 
harness some more of that energy to get the football out quicker and get the ball on receivers faster. That's got Tom House written all over it. He's really big into that release time, not just how long it takes you to wind up to throw, but the actual release of the arm moving forward and how quickly you can get uh, your momentum moving forward is a very big Tom House specific thing that he's worked on uh, for years with Tom Brady and, and other guys that he's worked with. So I, I saw maybe a little bit more of a, of a sped up release or a shorter compact release. And maybe that's a goal to kind of get some more uh, velocity on the football. But I also too would not necessarily overreact to anything that we saw. All right. Yeah. Again, it's, it's just so far removed from what he's actually going to do that it you can't have a big reaction to it. Yeah. I want to take a second to shout out our partners at Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball scores, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL features. You want to place a bet on Mac Jones winning MVP? It's there. You want to place a bet on Bill Belichick, Coach of the Year? It's there. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get the bonus and to get into the action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Let's go. Uh... To, to this one with Trey Flowers. A lot of questions about Trey Flowers or uh, I saw in the chat and Dominic and Sue's name came up, like just guys that they could potentially assign still. I think they only have 87 players on their roster the last time I checked. So they have some roster spots. Uh, what do you think is, do you think that Trey Flowers is still a possibility or do you think it would have already happened by now? No, I could see him you know, being one of those guys, he might not need camp, especially if he's planning on coming back here. He's somewhat familiar with the system, the coaching staff. He's been hurt a lot the last couple of years. He may not want to put his body through too much. He's somebody, again, I think it, it, it sort of makes sense for his situation to sign more towards the end of camp or even right before the regular season. You know, he kind of knows what he is. I think outside of the medical stuff, teams know who he is as a player. He may want to see, you know, a team has some injuries and he can cash in and maybe get a little more money if there's a desperate situation. Um, so I, I'm not ruling him out yet. Uh, and Dominic and Sue, I wouldn't rule out either, but he is probably going to command some serious money, some money. The Patriots Patriots don't have right now. They'll need to move some contracts around things like that. And I think they would see it as, I, I, I think they'd be more comfortable with a guy like Trey flowers. Who's been here, who they have a role for. Like if you bring in Dominic and Sue, you, you kind of need a, figure out how you're going to use him, right? Yeah. And are you going to play him with Barmore? Are you going to spell him with Barmore? What's that going to look like? All of that. Trey Flowers is going to plug and play. He's going to come in. He's going to play select snaps out of the role. Kyle Van Noy played last year. It's easy as that. So I think Flowers makes more sense. I don't think it's um, a stretch that that he would maybe wait a little bit to sign. Yeah, he, he is not a, wasn't 100% healthy at the end of last year. And I do think teams are going to want to see him first before they sign him. I, I will, I, I do expect him to go on some visits, right. And, and go and work out for teams, potentially go through a medical check, things like that uh, before he signs anywhere. So 
until he's 100% healthy and confident in his body to go out there and start doing those workouts or those free agent visits, I don't think that he'll sign. I might have expected him to sign by now just because at this point we're only a couple weeks away from training camp, and I kind of would have thought he would have been ready to go for some of those visits. But my guess is, is that he will go on at least one or two free agent visits and work out for teams before he officially signs a contract. You know, the Patriots did that this off season with a bunch of guys. Malcolm Butler came in for a workout before he signed. They even worked out Leonard Fournette before he signed. Remember for that, that 12 minutes that we thought maybe Leonard Fournette was in their plan. So I still think that Trey Flowers is on an NFL roster this year, a matter of, timing uh, we'll, we'll see maybe uh, once we get into camp they have him and they basically try him out in camp right they say like let's see what you look like for the first week and and see if you like it you know feel like you can hold up and, and stuff still so I'm a little surprised he hasn't signed yet but I I think that that's coming for him any anytime uh now all right we haven't talked a lot about Christian Wilkerson, Alex. I feel like we've talked so much about Trey Nixon. It's like that meme where it's like you're one day you're looking over here, the next day you're looking over there, right? Patriots fans end the last season, week uh, 18 against Jacksonville. It's all Christian Wilkerson hype. Now it's Trey Nixon hype. What are your? Do you still have hopes for Christian Wilkerson to be an NFL roster player for the Patriots? Yeah, I do. I, I think it's probably more special teams than, than receiver. He showed some flaws in that element of his game last year. I, I think he can make the team. And if he can work on his hands, like I think he can be a capable third or fourth NFL wide receiver. That's his biggest hang up right now to me. So I, I, you know, if he makes the roster, I wouldn't be shocked, especially with some of the special teams losses he's had. And then we'll see where he develops as a receiver. Yeah, that, that's fair. I, I think he's an explosive guy. I think he can get up the field, which I like about him as a receiver. I still think there's a lot of detail to his game that is missing. We saw early on in training camp last year, uh, his hands were great. And then all of a sudden he like got the yips, right? And he couldn't catch anything the last like two weeks of training camp. And it seemed to linger with him for a while. He gets open. He can run. It's just finishing the plays. That's been a big problem. But unfortunately, that's a big part of football at the wide receiver position that obviously is actually right. catching the ball. So if you can't actually catch the ball, then I, you know, I don't care how fast you are. What's the guy from the replacements? I'm not going to remember his name. The the guy that. Oh, uh, you know, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. 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 The wide receiver is like a four, two, four guy, but he couldn't catch and they had to put the stick him on his hands. I mean, Wilkerson's not that fast, but it's, it's that sort of thing with him. We'll, we'll have to. It's uh, or uh, uh, no, Orlando Jones is the actor. Clifford Franklin. Clifford Franklin. There we go. Clifford Franklin reference. Yeah, that's that's one of the one of those things where you have might have all the other tools, but if you can't catch the football, then then that's going to get you out of the league real fast. But he he could be a guy that could stick on special teams as a regular. I remember last training camp, he worked a lot with Matthew Slater, Justin Bethel, and that special teams core group, Corey Davis. Uh, and uh, Cody Davis, yeah. excuse me. And uh, maybe that's a role for him moving forward. Slater's getting long in the tooth. Justin Bethel is getting up there in age as well. Maybe they train him to be the next Matthew Slater instead of training him to be the next uh, Dion Branch, right? They, uh, maybe that's the way that things are going with him. Right. All right. Uh, there was a good question in here that a lot of people want, were interested in. Let me see if I can find it quickly about, there it is about the complexity of the system. And I think the, this is a lot of words, right? This, this is a lot of words to kind of surmise here. But I, I think the general premise of what the person is asking is, did the Patriot system 
becomes so complex because of Tom Brady's football IQ and experience and all those types of things that it was, it can only really be run by Brady. Right. And, and Brady was sort of the only guy that could kind of uh, get everybody pointed in the direction, right direction and make it work. And now that Brady is gone, uh, that Patriots are dialing it back. And, and Brady was sort of the engine of all that. I've heard this a lot. I'm, I'm not sure where you fall on it, Alex. I, I think there's some truth to it that obviously when you have a quarterback like Tom Brady, who has played for 20 years and has the football IQ that he has, you can do a lot more in terms of of things at the line of scrimmage or, or just in general uh, with the offense than you would with the first or a second year quarterback. But ultimately I, I do think McDaniels, system was just McDaniels, system. And, and I don't know if it was necessarily a hundred percent a Tom Brady thing. I think it was maybe a little bit closer to like 60, 40. Well, and Tom Brady's going to elevate any system he's in. He's just that good. And I think they were able to run, some more complex things, not just because Brady was as good as he was, but he was as experienced as he was. He'd seen so much. He'd had so much time to work on this. Right. So I don't think the system can look the same without Tom Brady. That being said, I don't think it was Brady fixing a broken system. I think at its core, there were elements of it that worked that were just elevated by Brady being a part of it because Brady was just that good. Right. So I I like I I like their offensive system. I didn't like my biggest problem with McDaniel's was his specific play calls in in big moments. Yeah. I didn't like how he called certain plays, but the the overall design, the overall concepts, I was a big fan of. But yes, it does. You do have to have really smart football players to make it work. But they've always brought in very smart football players. It's something that they've highlighted. You're just you're not going to be able to replace both the talent and the experience of Tom Brady. And any system is going to take a hit by that, whether it's McDaniels, whether it's in Tampa, whatever you put him in, it's not going to be the same without him. Yeah, I just don't think that there's any merit to the Patriots being happy that Josh McDaniels took the Raiders job. Right. I I don't I think that's going a step too far. I I do think there is some merit to the fact that McDaniels, you know, Tiger doesn't change his stripes or whatever that saying is. Right. And I think there is some merit to the fact that McDaniels does what he does and runs what he runs. And we saw this with Cam Newton where, yeah, there was a Cam Newton package where they in legs and they ran uh, some read option plays that they certainly would not have run with Tom Brady or with Mac Jones, but they didn't really change the core concepts, especially in the passing game. It was more the running game that evolved with Cam. The passing game was still the passing game. And Cam spoke about it, how, he didn't really grasp it and, and he really didn't have a good feel for it for most of the season. So McDaniels is who he is. Uh, he's going to run the same system that he ran here in uh, Vegas. Like that's just a system. And I, I don't know if necessarily saying that Belichick was happy about it is really the, uh, the best way to look at it. I, but I do think that there has to be some evolution uh, that maybe the Patriots system didn't have over the last couple of years. Would McDaniels have been willing to evolve with the times or willing to evolve with the ways that they needed to evolve? I think he probably would have, but we didn't necessarily see that fully last year with Mac Jones. Maybe they needed a full off season knowing Mac was the entrenched starter and all those types of things right. to, to really do it. So I, I would have liked to have seen a McDaniels uh, – continue i mean it's certainly better than their option right now and matt patricia joe judge 
running the offense versus Josh McDaniels, give me Josh McDaniels every single day of the week. But I, I think there is something to be said about the fact that McDaniels didn't was pretty married to the way that he did things. And rightfully so, because it's been so successful for him for so long. But a, a fresh perspective, like I said earlier on the show, might not necessarily be a bad thing for this offense. Yeah. All right. What else do we got? Here we go. Okay, so I've heard this a lot about why are we not more concerned about the defense and, like, people are kind of ignoring the defense and things like that. Are we doing that? Like, we we started the show today saying that the cornerback group was easily the number one question mark heading into the season. I'm not quite as worried about linebacker just because of the way I think they're going to play with the safeties being involved and things like that. But defensively, outside of a few guys, I'm not confident in a lot of people right now, or I don't, I don't know. I shouldn't say confident. I just don't know. I I don't know what those guys are going to look like. We don't know what the rookies are going to look like. We don't know what Cam McGrone or Raquan McMillan or Mac Wilson's going to look like in this defense. It is very legit. It's very, what's the word? It's very fair to be worried yeah. about the defense. I think we're all worried about the defense. That's my number one concern with the team. Yeah, I'd agree. I just to address this question, I I wouldn't say linebackers the worst group in a long time. There's just a lot of unknowns, right? Cornerback, yeah. there's I think there's more reasons for concern with corner because Malcolm Butler's 32. There were only six corners in the league last year that were over the age of 30 that that played more than 10 games. I mean, that's there's concrete reason to be concerned about that one. He also just spent a year out of the league. Jack yeah. Jones is a rookie. You don't know. Juwan Williams hasn't done anything in three years. I mean, it feels like there's definitive reasons to be skeptical about those guys. Linebacker is a little different to me. I think it could go either way, right? Yeah. You do have guys with legitimate upside. McGrone, McMillan, Wilson, like these guys, like there's, you really only need one of those guys to pan out. And you're, look, are they going to be the Bruski, Vrabel, McGinnis, Roman Pfeiffer, Ted Johnson linebacker group? No. But I, I think if a couple of those guys pan out and can give you replacement level play, you'll be fine at linebacker. Juwan Bentley's good on early downs if he stays in that role. Again, these guys look like they can maybe cover a little bit, play sideline to sideline. Yeah. They should be fine. If all three of those guys are spectacular busts, then yeah, it's going to be a rough group. I don't. I, I, I think chances are at least one of those guys hits. I think more than one of them hits because there's a lot to like there. The cornerback group is really what scares me because yeah. you don't have that. Outside of Jack Jones, there, there, there's there's not a ton of potential. Like you're hoping, you you know what the, the, the historical evidence suggests is going to be an uphill climb for Malcolm Butler. Could he pan out? Yes. But the historical evidence points to struggles there. Juwan Williams, again, hasn't shown anything. What's going to be different in year four that wasn't different the first three years? You don't have those definitive answers on the linebackers. That's a difference to me. But yeah, I... I, I I, I think we are concerned about the defense. The offense is more of a, you know, we talk a lot about the offense and that's the nature of the game because fantasy football is brainwashed people and that sucks. The questions on offense to me are more just ordering depth chart, right? We right. feel good about the receivers they have. Again, they're not world beaters. It's not Moss, Welker, Stallworth, Gaffney, but they've got decent wide receiver talent, at least one through five, maybe one through six on the depth chart, right? what order is that going to be in? You know, how much will guys play over other guys? That's a question, but we feel like they can compete. It's still worth discussing, 
but it's it's different. Whereas on defense, you're looking at, well, do they have enough guys to fill out the depth chart at the cornerback position? Yeah, that that's the big difference. You can discuss both and it sounds similar, but they're two different conversations. I actually feel really good where they are roster wise offensively. Uh, we'll see about the coaching and we'll see how much Mac Jones can elevate his game to that next level to really, I still would like group. to see them out of veteran pass catching running back. That's my biggest question on that. that that's fair. I guess my feeling is between James White, Ty Montgomery, and hopefully Pierre strong can maybe contribute a little bit as a rookie. They, they might have enough there, but if James White's not ready to be James White again, that's, that's kind of what I'm worried about. Yeah, if he's not James White again, then certainly that's something that they should uh, be looking into. But offensively, I think they're 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 really in good shape. I, I know they don't have the number one alpha dog, but a lot of metrics out there. I know this numbers drive you nuts, Alex, but the numbers are actually on the Patriots' side on this one. That building a passing game with depth one through five, with good talented players one through five, is actually better than just building a passing game with a really good number one receiver and then a bunch of jacks, right? Like that's the better approach just from a balance standpoint. It's much harder to defend. If the Patriots go and play a team that has one really good wide receiver, well, you double that guy or, you you know, if you have a a Stephon Gilmore type, you put your number one corner on that guy, you take him out of the game, and then the quarterback is left looking around who I throw to, you know, they're, they're doubling, uh, you know, so, and so who else is open? Nobody. The Patriots will have the luxury of having a lot of different depth pieces and a lot of different matchup weapons. And I think that they have really good depth at wide receiver at tight end, uh, even at running back, even though third down running back might be a spot that, that could be a concern uh, in general, Damian Harris from Andre Stevenson, the rookie running backs. I think they have good depth there in terms of running the football. So offensively, I think they really look great on paper if the coaching holds up. Defensively, there's a ton of concern about their roster talent, overall talent, uh, who fills out which spots, like you were saying. Really, the only group that I feel great about is the is the front. I don't even know if I feel great. I just feel better than the rest of the pieces just because of Matthew Judon and Christian Barmore. I think those two guys I feel great about two-thirds of the front, basically. Yeah. I think those two guys are going to bring it. Everybody else, it's a wait and see. The linebacker group, or especially the off-ball linebacker group, I really think that you're going to see so much of Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, and Jabril Peppers at the second level of the defense that a lot of these depth linebackers that we've talked about, I don't really know how much they're actually going to play. So I think there's going to be one full-time linebacker. It's probably going to be Jawan Bentley for the time being. Maybe somebody like Cam McGrone can take that job from Bentley down the road. But from right now, I I would say it's probably going to be Bentley that's going to be a a regular, a full-time contributor. And and then it's really the safeties that I think are going to just play a ton close to the line of scrimmage. So uh, I almost don't even look at some of those depth linebackers. uh, And I say the second linebacker is probably really going to be uh, Adrian Phillips, right? Or it's going to be Kyle Duggar. It's going to be a uh, Jabril Peppers. So that makes me feel a little bit better about the linebacker group, I think, just because of that. But corner is very worrisome. I still think that there, it's, I have worries about who's going to contribute on the front besides Judon and Barmore. Uh, like we saw last year, nobody else really emerged from that group, especially in the pass rush to get after the quarterback. And it was either Barmore or Judon getting to the quarterback or nobody. And they definitely need to hope that a guy like Josh Uche can emerge out of that group and, and take a next step forward or Dietrich Wise has a bigger season rushing the passer or something like that. So 
yeah, there's a lot of reasons to be concerned. I mean, the defense, what did they, they give up? 47 points to Buffalo in the wild card game. I know they had some injuries and some COVID guys and things like that, but more or less that's your defense, right? I And, and some of those guys aren't even coming back like the Hightower or JC. Right. So it, it's, it's definitely worrisome. It's definitely the biggest concern uh, going on the team right now. All right, let's go back to some of these questions in the chat uh, to wrap this up here. Look at this question from David about the rest of the AFC. We haven't talked a ton about uh, the rest of the AFC. Maybe we'll do a show before the season about kind of a whip around the rest of the AFC and the AFC East because it it is incredibly deep this year in the AFC. It's going to be really tough uh, to make the playoffs, I think, for any team, really, Uh, not just the Patriots. Who do you see, though, in the AFC uh, as your team – uh, that takes a step forward or, you know, or the team that takes a step back, like your Titans are on this list for David as the team that takes a step back. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably Titans taking a step back just because, you know, they, they lost AJ Brown and he was such a big part of what they did. And I, I don't think Traylon Burks is going to be able to give them that kind of production. Yeah. So I, I think their window, unfortunately may have closed. They did get the the number one seed though, last year in the AFC. Let's not forget that. that was wild. Yes. Um, so I, I could see them taking a step back. I'm going to say Buffalo too. Again, I don't think what they've done is sustainable. Teams aren't going to play prevent for 45 minutes against you. Eventually, I hope teams stop doing that against the Bills and force Josh Allen to make throws. I don't know why the rest of the league is just content on Josh letting Josh Allen be good, but that appears to be the agenda. Uh, team that's going to take a step forward. I, do the Ravens count? Like Lamar was hurt so much last year. And that's why they finished eight and nine. Yeah. They should be like, assuming Lamar stays healthy, they should be better than that. But I don't know if that counts as a step forward versus just being healthy. You get like the Broncos too would be another team. It's a fundamentally different team. You go from Drew Locke to Russell Wilson. They should take a step forward as well. Uh, you know what? And I'll say the Raiders, they, they had uh, Devonte Adams. They had a good coach in Josh McDaniels. The Raiders are a team too. That'll probably, that should be better. I know. I feel yeah. like those are all obvious ones. Yeah, I think the team that I, I have to take a step forward is the Raiders. I, I honestly really like what they've done. And for some reason, and this is just like a gut feeling, I, I kind of feel like Josh McDaniels as a head coach the second time around might get it right. Right. I feel like you learn a yeah. lot from the first experience. I mean, look at Bill Belichick in Cleveland, right? He comes to New England and, and we know who he is now. So I feel like the second stint – you can go the example of, of Belichick, Pete Carroll with the Seattle Seahawks after struggling with the Patriots and going to college. And then he comes back with the Seahawks and wins a Super Bowl there. There's just a lot of precedent of guys actually panning out the second time around and learning from their mistakes the first time. And I love what they've built over there. They've trained for Devontae Adams, which is obviously a home run for them. But also some of the other moves that they have made to make that a McDaniel Ziegler team, like even little things like Jakob Johnson, right. And right. getting a full back in there uh, to, to run some of McDaniels uh, two back thing, uh, personnel type of things that he likes to do. There's a lot to like about what the Raiders have done this off season. And they've taken care of some of their guys too, like Max Crosby signed an extension and uh, Carr is now under contract and the Hunter Renfro. So they're not only just, adding from what uh, outside the organization, but right. they're clearly identifying the guys that are culture builders in that building and making sure that they're holding on to those players too. So a really good off season from Dave Ziegler. I, I think they're going to take a step forward this year. 
they were a playoff team last year, uh, but lost to the Bengals in the uh, wild card right. weekend round. And it, that game was not really that competitive. Like I, I never really thought the Bengals were on the ropes at any point in that game well, against the Raiders. Let, let's not forget, you know, they did that with a ton of instability too. 10 wins in a, in a playoff spot with a ton of instability with the yeah. coach, the GM, all that, but you know what? Cause it's June. Let's, let's, let's do this. Cause it's June. We have the time. Buffalo Bills last year, 11 and six. They better worse of the same this year. 11 and six. I think they're about the same. Same. I would agree. Patriots yeah. 10 and seven better worse. Same. I think they're worse, but maybe like it's nine and eight instead of 10. And you know, I, I don't think it's going to be like a, a, a drop off a cliff season. But we'll I, call within a game one way or the other. Same. So I would agree. Yeah, same. Same. I, I just think their schedule's tough. I, I think they have a difficult. They, they do. Yeah. Miami dolphins, nine and eight. I'm going to say better. I say same. I, I'm not, okay. I'm not fully buying the Miami hype because I'm not 100% sold on Mike McDaniel as a head coach. I think he's a great coordinator, but I'm not 100% sold on him leading a team yet. I I don't know. Some of the things that I've heard from Miami about how, like, it's important to him to be friends with the players. Yeah. Like, what's that about? Right? You're, you're, you're the head. It's like, no matter what profession. We get it. You're cool. Right. No matter what profession you're in, whether it's, professional football or just regular everyday life profession your boss is not supposed to be your buddy like that's your boss right like you have to have some sort of control it's okay to be friendly but from what i heard like they get together as a team like outside the the facility and he gets like upset that they don't invite him like things like that i don't know just I, i i'm almost in the school thought with mike mcdaniel that he's a still almost like a little starstruck about with some of these guys. Right. And he like, just wants to be friends with Tyree kill because he's Tyree kill. Right. You know, and, and that's not a recipe uh, for success. We'll, we'll see. Maybe I'm overlooking uh, them or overhyping that angle to it, but Mike McDaniel, I, I think is trying too hard to be, to be, to be cool. Like it's kind of like Pete Carroll with yeah. Bill Pete in the, in the whole thing. Right. Right. I don't disagree. I just think, They've built that team so perfectly for Tua. Obviously, Tua has his shortcomings, but they have two of, if not the best two yards after catch receivers in the league. They don't need him throwing yeah. the ball far. And when he throws short, he's still very accurate. Uh, Jets, 4-13. and 13. I still say same. Like, same. I, like, I like some of the things that they did, but you and I both were okay on Garrett Wilson. Like he's a, he's a good prospect, right? I'm not trying to bash Garrett Wilson, but do I expect Garrett Wilson to have a Justin Jefferson like impact as a rookie? I I, no, I I don't necessarily see that, especially with the quarterback throwing to him. I I don't know. I'm not, I'm not so sold on what the jets have been doing. I think they've made some low key, nice moves and and veteran free agency, not overpaying anybody and, and just getting some solid football players in there. But I still think they got a ways to go. I agree with you. I'll believe the Jets had a good draft when the players turn out good. There's been too yeah. many times where we talked in, in April and May about the Jets having good draft and then the guys end up sucking. So well, a lot of people really like their draft, right? I mean, that was. Yeah, but we, people have liked their draft before and then they don't develop the players. So no, yeah, I'm with you. I'm just saying that I'll that believe was, it when I see it. That was a sneaky. Oh, the Jets had a great draft. It was like one of those when people did their draft grades, like they were one of the teams that everybody loved, right? Because they drafted. Right. Uh, they got Sauce Gardner at four, Garrett Wilson at 10, and then Jermaine Johnson at 26. Jermaine Johnson's a guy that the media thought was going to go top 10, top 15. 
he was one of the fallers in the first round, falls to 26. He obviously fell for a reason, right? The NFL obviously knew something about Jermaine Johnson that the media did not or saw something about Jermaine Johnson that the media did not. So just because all of our mock drafts and big boards had Jermaine Johnson as a top 20 player and they got him at 26 doesn't automatically make Jermaine Johnson some great player. Like right. maybe the league was right about it. Maybe he's got off-field well, or work ethic things. I don't know. Like – Look at, and, and somebody asked us about Baker. Look at the 2018 draft. Two of the top three players are no longer on their teams. And the third one, Saquon Barkley, probably won't be much longer either. Um, Bengals, 10 and 7. Better. Better. I agree. I yeah. agree. I think now they, they, they've tasted success, right? Now they're going to chase it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. St- Steelers, 9, 7, and 1. I'm going worse. Worse. Definitely worse. Yeah. Browns, 8 and 9. Who's the quarterback? Yeah, where I love Jacoby Brissett, but I'm gonna say worse. That's a tough division too. I'm gonna say worse. Yeah. I would uh, assume Ravens. the Browns gotta be off the board in Vegas, right? You can't how do you without knowing Probably, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was on with um Joe Murray yesterday. He was trying to get the odds on the Patriots Browns week six. Uh Baltimore Ravens eight nine better, assuming Lamar stays healthy better. Yeah, I think right. Lamar, what was that season uh won MVP two thousand twenty, right? It was the MVP 19, year. Nineteen nineteen was the year 19. before. COVID, yeah. Yeah, 19. Uh, I think he has a 2019-like season this year. Interesting. I think Lamar is going to have a big, big year. You I find that Rashad picture Bateman. of going around of him looking all jacked up? I, I loved Rashad Bateman coming out. He was injured all last year as a rookie. I, I think that he's going to be somebody that will emerge for them. I don't know. I, I just think Lamar is a damn stud. I, I think he eventually figures it out to get back to that level. I know. You're a big, you're a big Lamar guy. Big Lamar. Uh, Titans, 12-5, and five, worse. Yeah, worse. Colts nine and eight. I'll say a little better. I could see them getting it to double digits. I don't know about much more than that, but they have a real quarterback now in Matt Ryan. So yeah, I, I definitely like the the move to get Matt Ryan. I think that he was wasting away a little bit in Atlanta. He's a yeah. very very good quarterback. Still, I remember watching the Falcons tape in the lead up to that game, and even some of the, I know the Falcons offense kind of got pummeled in that game by the Patriots defense, but they were missing a lot of pieces. That whole Calvin Ridley situation was going on at the time. And he still made some really, really good throws in that game where he had no business even finding open receivers. Right. So I I think he's still got some good play in him. And I I would say that they, they are a little bit better just because the quarterback's a little bit better. Houston four and 13. Dare I say worse. Can you be worse than four and 13? Well, we said one game on either side is the same. So I guess I'm saying they're going to win two games. I'll say same. Yeah. It's really, really hard to win only one or two games in the NFL. This is a really really good quarterback class. I think we're going to see some teams really shut it down. Try to go for that. I I could see him taking that angle, especially later on in the season. If it's pretty clear that they're, they're going to be a bottom feeder team, which it probably should be anyways going into the season. But once they get into the year, if they're one in ten or something like that, then sure, tank it. Yeah. Uh, Jags three and fourteen. They'll be better. I don't know if they get above five hundred, but they should be like a six, seven, eight win team. Yeah. Are we sure Doug Peterson's a good coach? Better than Urban Meyer. He's he's better than Urban Meyer because Urban Meyer is a nut job, right? But right. Are we sure that Doug Peterson's a good coach, or was that Eagles staff? That Eagles staff was loaded. Like that, especially on offense, like Frank Reich, I might have been the architect of that whole thing in Philadelphia. I just, I think Peterson's better. 
I think Trevor Lawrence with another year of experience is big. Travis yeah. Etienne will be healthy. They Again, they're, they're not making the playoffs or anything, but they, they should win at least five games. Yeah, they also made some moves like they overpaid Christian Kirk, obviously, but he's right. still a good NFL wide receiver that's better than right. they were running out there last year. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Chiefs 12 and five. I'm between worse and same. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say worse, but like they'll, I, I think like 10 wins. They're not going to lose. They're not going to. They're going to get to double-digit wins with Patrick Mahomes. When you have Patrick right. Mahomes, and I'll also throw Andy Reid in there, who's probably a top five, top three NFL coach at this point. They're going to get to 10-plus wins automatically just because they have those two guys. But I do think they're going to take a step back offensively without Tyree Kill. I, I don't think it's going to be as seamless as some other people think just because they have Mahomes and Kelsey still. I love Sky Moore. I mean, we were the biggest Sky Moore proponents here, especially me, speaking for myself. But – I think that that's a difference, a huge difference when you don't have Tyreek. And let's see what Travis Kelsey does now that he is the center of attention on that offense. Yeah. It's one thing to be the the Welker, right, with Randy Moss over the top. Now you're Randy Moss. Like, let's see what you can do. Raiders were 10-7 and 7 last year. I think we both said we expect them to be better than that. Yes. It's the thing where, like, the Chiefs are still on paper probably the best team in that division. Will they finish with the best record? I could see another team, like a team like the Raiders, maybe getting by them because the Chiefs just know they got to get in, right? Yeah, they know they've if they get in, they're in good shape. Right. Uh, Chargers nine and eight. I'm gonna say worse. I don't know how that team that. goes into the locker room and looks that coach in the face after he cost them a spot in the playoffs last year for his precious, precious, precious spreadsheets. Nobody, I know they got Khalil Mack. Nobody great aim at Brandon Staley. Quite like Alex. How do you how do you as a player go and play for that coach who knocked yeah. you out of the playoffs last year? Your own coach knocked you out of the playoffs last year. That is going to okay. be a really interesting dynamic. They got better. JC Jackson makes them better on defense. They really didn't have an outside corner on his, of his talent level or his tier on that team. Justin and Herbert the, is the, a dude. I mean, that guy is incredible. I, I think he's just as good as like Allen and Mahomes, honestly. So I say same to better just because I really believe a lot in Justin Herbert. I think he's going to be an, an MVP candidate for a very, very long time in this league. The one thing that they did, though, that really surprised me, and look, their offensive line is, has been in shambles for years. They had to work on the offensive line. But out of all of the things to do, for the mathiest of math, teams and the mathiest of math coaches to draft a guard in the first round shocked me because that is not the math right like math people do not draft guards a, a non-premium position in the first round zion johnson's a really good football player you know my feelings on guards in the first round but i was out of all the teams in the league, I, I thought the Chargers were the last team that would take a guard in the first round just because of the way that they think normally. Um, and this is the first one we disagree on. I'm still going to say bad coach, bad situation in the room, tougher division. I'm going to say they take a step back, even with all the talent they added. I'm uh, so shocked that you think the Chargers are going to take a step back. Denver Broncos. And I, I want to like the Chargers. I do. I used to I, I used to be a fan of theirs. Like, I'm not a fan. I was a Patriots fan, but... Those the Danny and Tomlinson, Shane Merriman teams, it helped the Patriots always beat them. But those were cool teams. Those teams were fun to watch. I want to like the Chargers, but I think they take a step back. Denver Broncos, 7-10, and 10, better. I mean, added Russell Wilson, they're going to be better. 
I think they're going to be better, but I'm not sure. I think Russell Wilson makes them two wins better. So they should at least flip that record. They were seven and ten last year. They should at least flip that. Yeah, I think they get the nine wins. I, I'm not giving them ten. You're yet. not giving them the tenth. Interesting. Look, Interesting. I, okay. I said I wasn't going to overrate offseason things, but Russell Wilson looks awfully comfortable in that boat with Sierra right now. He doesn't look like he's all right. Hitting the gym too much, you know what I'm saying? Like he's got a little bit of a dad bod, honestly. And I, I don't know if that's just Russell Wilson's physique and if he's kind of always been that way. Yeah, he, he has always kind of been like that. Yeah, maybe he's never been the, a, a rocked up type of guy. You know, maybe maybe that's on me. But I think there are some limitations with the Russell Wilson at quarterback. He's a spectacular downfield thrower. He's obviously a great athlete. But they had some issues with him in Seattle in terms of seeing the middle of the field and being able to throw the ball with anticipation, make layered throws in the middle of the field. Some people make fun of him and say it's about his height, right? And it's he can't see over the line and have to throw those five to seven yard passes right over the line of scrimmage. But I don't know. I don't know how much better at this stage of his career Russell Wilson makes Denver. At. But right. I like their I like their defense. Their defense is legit. I think this year Patrick Sertan's going to be one of the top five, six corners in the NFL before the year's out. I know you probably want to get, get the Boston sportsman in, but this was fun. Let's do the, let's do the NFC next week or in two weeks. Yeah, no, I'm glad we did this. I, I meant to set this up for us at some point anyway. So I'm glad we, we did this because we haven't really looked at the, the rest of the NFL. So we'll do the NFC yeah. next, next week. We can go through those teams as well because the NFC counts too, even though it's not as relevant for the Patriots. And I also want to do a before camp. Maybe we can fit it in a deeper dive into just the AFC East teams and, and what maybe the Patriots are going to be up against in the division. So we'll get to that, but yeah, let's wrap it with the Boston sports minute and, and get out of here on this uh, lovely Thursday afternoon. The Red Sox last night, Alex, that was a classic case. And I understand because we're media types now too. So I understand that this is the gig and, and this is what happens. But when every reporter under the sun, when Sam Kennedy goes on Nesson before the game and talks about how excited everybody is for the Rook to make his first major league start, he gets knocked around a little bit. That was a classic case of overhyping the situation. And I don't blame Brian Bale. Was it Bale? Right. But it's a, yeah. Yeah, it's a yeah. Y instead of an, an L sound. I don't blame him at all for that. I'm not at all. I think he, he, it was all the hype train overhyping him. And I look at like where he ranks in general in the grand scheme of things that he's like, what, the 40th ranked prospect in Major League Baseball right now. The way people were talking about him was like he was Steven Strasburg when he was a rookie, right? Or some one of these like bona fide number one of all baseball type prospects. So I don't think this is on Bayo. I think this is 100% on the coverage of it, of Bayo going into this game. Well, I also think it's on the team. One, not a good defensive effort behind him last night. Get rid of the shift first and foremost, but there's also your Franchi drop a ball at first base that should have gotten him out of an inning. He might not be ready, but they had to rush him up. Yeah. Most teams, and I, I did this number two years ago, so I, I don't know if the number shifted, but from, I did it in 2019. So from 2009 to 2019, on a minimum, teams needed on average nine or 10 starters to get through the major league season. That's just the number it took. You'd nine or 10 pitchers start at least one game that includes openers, guys from the bullpen, et cetera. Yeah. The Red Sox came into this season, not including James Paxton, because he's not supposed to pitch this year, but this is including Chris Sale. The Red Sox came into the season with five starting pitchers with major league experience on their 40-man roster. 
That's not enough. And look, do you need to have 10 guys with major league experience? No, guys are going to make their debuts. Josh Winkowski was ready. And I, we knew he was ready coming into the season. He was always yeah. supposed to make his debut this year. But, you know, okay, so you have five major league guys. So Winkowski's ready. Maybe you're going to do a bullpen day, right? Whitlock ended up starting. So that's six. You're still short. And people were, people were saying it last night. Brian Bayo wasn't called up because the team thought he was major league ready. Brian Bayo was called up because he was the team's best option at that point. That shouldn't necessarily be the case. So yeah. I don't like them. One start isn't the be all end all, but I don't love them screwing with the kids development. There's a lot last night to be excited about. I thought his sinker looked really good. Yeah. I thought his change up when he, he spotted it. Look, the sinker right, he's hanging around 97. The changeup when he spotted it looked good. He was clearly jacked up. A lot of, you know, a lot of adrenaline. He had trouble controlling it. But when he got it in the zone, hitters had trouble with it. He needs a fourth pitch eventually. There's a lot to be excited about, but he's not ready quite yet. I think you look at next year as a realistic long-term call-up. Bloom even said after the game, they're not going to have him up and stick him in the bullpen. But he should not have been up last night. That's on high and Bloom. And by the way, the guy who's supposed to save them, if Bayo can't, Chris Sale, Five walks and three and two thirds. He's not ready to come back either. I think they're counting on him to do a lot more than you can realistically ask him to do. His 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 fit in the tunnel was hilarious, but that's just yeah. another sign. He, you know, why he did that? He, you, I know. I love it. I love the energy. I know why he did it, which worries me. Right, he did it because he knows he's not ready. Yeah, he's thrown forty-one innings since twenty eighteen. He wants to get back in the bigs. That's not the reaction of a guy who thinks his next start is coming at the major league level. So they have a, they again have a real pitching problem. The, the other thing about it, you had to bring that kid up. Biggest game of the year to that point. They can't win in the division. They have a major pitching problem. They had a real chance last night to get everybody to buy back in between Sale and Bayo and winning a series against the Rays, and it all went out the window. Yeah, I, that's 100% spot on. I don't think I could have tackled that better myself. I. To me, just going off of what you said with Bayo, there had to have been somebody, and I, I know Seabold, I know Winchowski, I know Bayo. There's got to be another starter down in the minors that they don't necessarily see in the same class as Bayo in terms of his long-term outlook. That like, okay, if you mess with this guy on a spot start, then like, kind of so be it, right? Like, it, it's not the end of the world if he comes up and gets knocked around a little bit. But like you said, to mess with the kid's development all to just get him in for one start in the majors. I, I get maybe they felt like they wanted to see, like if he comes in and dominates then maybe he's ready. Right. But if the coaches down there, which is their job is to know whether a guy is ready or not, all kind of felt like he still could use some more time down in Worcester. Why not just pull up somebody else just to make the start last night and go, and go from there instead of messing with the kids development. That to me seems like a, in the moment sort of knee jerk sort of thing, which is not what the Red Sox should be all about, especially when it's a 162 game season. Like let's chill about them needing to win a, a do or die game on July 6th. Right. It seems, but a it is bad. a do or die game on July 6th. Cause they put themselves in this hole. They are now seven. They are now seven and 18 against the American league. Yeah, East. I know that's it. Yeah. They're all must win games from here on out. They need to start. They can't just win these series. They need to start sweeping teams if they want to have a shot at this thing. Yeah. I, I love the spire from Chris sale, but I'm with you. I know I I've been really jacked up to see Chris sale back uh, with the Red Sox and I still am. But when you have a tirade like that, after a rehab assignment in Worcester, that tells you that he knows he's not right. 
Like he, right. whether it's physical, mental, uh, he's rusty, whatever the case may be. Uh, when you go on a tirade like that, then he clearly knows that something is not quite right yet with his whole program. And he needs maybe another start in Worcester, maybe two more starts. Like who knows? But he knows he's not ready to go. He knows he's not ready to hit major league uh, batter or you know face major league batters yet, and that's right. worrisome. Like that that stinks because he's what 32, 30, 30, 31, 32, 33, something like that. So with all these injuries, with all these injuries, uh, with all the walks down in Worcester, y- you do have concerns that maybe he's just never going to be the same guy again, and. I hope I'm wrong. I want to be wrong, but that that's sort of the look of it that maybe he'll never fully get it back. And this is exactly why I was all on board with them trying to transition him into a bullpen role, because now you're just pitching one good inning, right? Like they, if he's the closer, they just need one good inning out of you. Like they need 15 pitches and that's it. And instead they're trying to stretch him back out and, it's pretty clear that he doesn't have the command that he needs right now to be a, a, a starter that eats up multiple innings. So I'm still, I, I'm still in the camp that would like to see them try to make him a back end of the bullpen type of guy at this point, because that's a lot. I, I don't know. I'm not a baseball guy, but it feels a lot easier to me in a right. way to, to, to be able to just go out there and throw one good inning every other day than it is to have to go and make a start in the major leagues. Am I totally off base with that? No, you're not. I've been saying since the beginning, he should be in the bullpen. Yeah. He, he absolutely should be in the bullpen. All right. A question here in the chat about the Celtics. We can do this and then wrap it up. Not much Bruins takes tonight because the draft, the, they, they don't have a first round pick currently, right? It, no. And they, they have a second that they were supposedly trying to trade back up into the first. They need to take a Rams approach. They can't draft trade the picks for players. Yeah, that's fair. Anybody on the Celtics Summer League roster that excites you, Alex? Yeah, three guys. Uh, J.D. Davison, obviously. He's just – he's the perfect Summer League player. I don't know if he turns into an NBA player, but he's such a good athlete. He's going to be due for at least one poster uh, throughout this. A.J. Reeves, I don't know that he makes the team. They have so many guards, but he went to Providence. He's, He's from Roxbury, so that's just a really cool story, getting to see him with the Celtics. The real guy, though, I think that if you so those are the guys I'm looking forward to watch is, is in. I think they're going to play the most fun basketball. Yeah, the guy I'm watching in terms of can he actually make the Celtics? Travion Williams is a center from Purdue. Liked him coming into the draft. He he was kind of supposed to go right in that range. He ended up going undrafted. They're bringing him in for summer league. Six ten. He's listed at two fifty five. I'm going to take the over, and it's all muscle, right? They need he's a he he can play in the post, but he's a good passer. He's athletic. Who does that sound like? He's like a, you know, I don't want to say he's like Robert Williams now, but he's like what Robert Williams was when he first came out. Yeah. They need another big to limit Robert Williams minutes during the regular season. Maybe they sign a guy, right? They were linked to Thomas Bryant. Uh, I know some people brought up Serge Ibaka before he signed. Travion Williams could realistically be that guy. So I'm really interested to see what he's going to do. All right. There you go. So there's the Boston sports. You don't have anybody? Uh, you, 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 don't, you don't know the right, just, you don't know who's on the roster. Just say it. It's fine. No, I do know who's on the roster for the most part, but you covered most of the guys. I'm excited to see Davison. I think that those guys that are just raw athletes like that, the Celtics have had some luck with those types of players, with developing those types of players. I, I know he's not Jalen Brown, right? Jalen Brown is drafted in the lottery and much higher than a guy like JD Davison, but 
even J- Jalen coming out was sort of just a raw tools player, right? And they did a nice job with developing him and and bringing him along. So it's t- it's tough to make this team right now as a guard, though. That that's the thing. I, I don't think that you're make making the Celtics roster as a guard. And I would assume that JD Davison spends the the season with the Red Claws. Is it still the Red Claws, or I I forgot if they changed their name or not. But I no, assume that he, Celtics now. Yeah, yeah. I I stay. I assume that he's still in Maine uh, this season. But uh, I'm excited to see him play and see what uh, his athleticism can bring to the table. And uh, I I think they they don't play the Thunder at all. But Chet Holmgren is like the the star of the summer league so far. You know, I'm not a believer yet. I I, I yeah. Don't you, see... You're not a big you're not a big Chet Holmgren no. guy. That's fine. No. You're just jealous. He's got to hit the weight room. Let, let, let's see. I can't wait until he has to guard a real NBA player in the post and, and see what happens to him. I get it pushed into the first row by some guy in the summer league last night, and everybody's hyping this kid. I, look, I just don't see it. All right, anyways. Uh, so next week, I, I am actually taking a, a much-needed vacation for once in my life. So uh, we're not going to have the podcast next week because I'm going to be in lovely Martha's Vineyard on a beach somewhere. Uh, getting some uh, very necessary R&R before we get going in training camp. So we'll take the week off next week, and then we'll be back the following week with our typical Tuesday, Thursday, and we'll go right into training camp with it. But we'll have some stuff on the channel to keep you until then and when I'm away, and uh, we'll still stay in the loop. And hopefully, fingers crossed, the Patriots don't make any uh, major, major moves uh, while I'm gone. If they do, then I will have my laptop with me on the island, and you know the drill. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll figure out something. Uh, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to take the week off next week and uh, get some very necessary uh, break in uh, before training camp uh, picks up, and then we'll have all our training camp preview coverage uh, starting the following week, which will uh, be the week before training camp, and then we're going to get right into it. So we're looking forward to it, and uh, we'll uh, – keep you guys updated if we do have a show next week if there is any roster moves that are worth talking about but plan on seeing us again uh, on uh, tuesday uh, the following week so until then signing off for alex barth i'm evan lazar thanks for watching everybody and we'll see you in a couple weeks